This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. I'd like for you to look with me into the Old Testament. We come this evening to Psalm 22, Psalm 22. And for those of you in our church family, you know that we are reading through the Psalms together here in the month of April. And uh, today is April the 5th. And so the section that we are reading uh, today uh, begins in Psalm 21 and goes through Psalm 25. And so this evening, we're going to pause at Psalm 22 and take a closer look at that psalm. So I invite your attention there, and uh, I encourage you to stay with us in the daily reading of the psalms. In Psalm number 22, uh, also in Psalm 23 and Psalm 24, we have what is a trio of psalms which speak of our Lord Jesus Christ as the shepherd. In John, or in Psalm 22, uh, we have the psalm of the good shepherd, as John refers to him. In John chapter 10, verses 11 and 14, he is the good shepherd who gave, or gives rather, his life for his sheep. In Hebrews 13 and verse 20, we see that he is referred to as the great shepherd who uh, has risen again and who is, has ascended into the heavens where he intercedes on behalf of his children. And we find that Psalm 23 is the psalm of the great shepherd. And then we come to Psalm 24, uh, which speaks of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ in victory to gather his children and lead them uh, into heaven. And uh, here he is referred to as the chief shepherd, also mentioned uh, as such in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 4. So we have here a trio of psalms that speak of the Lord Jesus Christ as our shepherd, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, and the chief shepherd. As we come to Psalm 22, <clears throat> excuse me, we find that it is a Psalm of David. And no doubt David was a man who was acquainted with difficulty and trouble. And out of that trouble and out of that difficulty, uh, we find that David wrote many of his Psalms. And in the Psalms, we find his prayer, his heart's cry to God in the midst of his anguish. And we also hear his anthems of praise in the Psalms. As we come to Psalm 22, however, we certainly do not see that David suffered in any way in his life similar to the description that is given to us in Psalm 22. And therefore, we must take uh, to heart the words of Peter as he testified in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 30, speaking of David, that he was not just simply the sweet psalmist of Israel and the king of Israel, but that he was a prophet. In Acts chapter number 2 and verse number 
30, uh, Peter writes, Therefore, being a prophet, and he's speaking here of David as a prophet, one who is inspired of God to record uh, future happenings. And he's dealing here uh, in Psalm 22 with the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we understand that David writes to us in Psalm 22, inspired of the Holy Spirit, to speak to us concerning the shepherding work of Christ. And in particular, in Psalm 22, he is portrayed to us as the suffering shepherd. And so the title of our study tonight, our, the message that I intend to preach to you with the help of the Lord, is the psalm of the suffering shepherd, the psalm of the suffering shepherd. I want us to look in verse number 31. We'll look at the very last verse of this psalm, and then we'll go back and look beginning in verse number 1, and we'll read through it as we progress, and I'll make uh, some comments as we continue to read through it. But notice in verse 31, actually let's look together in verse 30, a seed shall serve him, it shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. The expression we find here in verse number 31, he hath done this, in the Hebrew is just simply one word. And this is what the word means. Finished. Finished. When the Lord Jesus Christ uh, died upon the cross before he gave up the ghost, the Bible said he cried out, it is finished. And so there is no doubt that we see in Psalm 22 a portrayal of the suffering of our Savior upon the cross of Calvary. And truthfully, what we have here is an open door that leads us into the heart and to the mind of our Savior as he hung upon the cross. Next Sunday, next Lord's Day, will be Resurrection Sunday. And as we think of the triumphal entry of the Lord Jesus Christ into Jerusalem and, and uh, all of the teaching that he gave that week, the questions that came to him, the betrayal that was made by Judas, the Lord's Supper, the agony of his prayer in the garden, his trial and his uh, scourging and his condemnation and ultimately his death. All of these things are on our hearts during this week as we remember what Christ did for us on the cross. And as we come to Psalm 22, we see a portrayal of Christ's sufferings from his perspective. And we have in Isaiah 53 and in the book of Psalm, Psalm 22, we have a vivid description of his suffering and his agony. And so may the Lord speak to us tonight. We'll divide this psalm into three sections, and uh, we'll look first of all at the reproach of the shepherd, the reproach of the shepherd. And then we'll look secondly at the resurrection of the shepherd. And then we'll look finally at the reign of the shepherd, the reign of the shepherd. But let's look first of all at the reproach of the shepherd. Notice if you would please, verses 1 through 19, describe for us his agony and his suffering and shame that he endured upon the cross. 
And we see his reproach involves three elements here. Number one, he was abandoned by God. He was abandoned by God, his father. Now notice, if you would, the shocking words we read to begin this psalm. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And immediately our minds go to the cross and the utterance of the Lord Jesus when he cried out the same, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Then he goes on to say, why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not and in the night season and am not silent. Now we notice in these verses that a separation has taken place. The everlasting eternal fellowship between the father and the son has been interrupted and it, it comes to an interruption here upon the cross of Calvary. Now, what was the cause of that interruption? What would cause God the father to turn his back upon his own son and to, to, for Jesus Christ, the son of God to experience uh, this uh, thought or this emotion and, and the truth and the significance that he had ultimately now uh, been forsaken by his father. That was something that he had never experienced in his existence, his eternal existence with the father. But now upon the cross, he experiences separation. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 21, for he that is God the Father made him that is God the Son. For he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What we understand is that when Jesus Christ, when he hung upon the cross, when he hung there upon the cross, he, he hung there as a sinner, not that he was a sinner, he never sinned, but he hung there as the sin bearer. And all of our iniquity, as Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, all of our sin and our iniquity was laid upon him. He willingly drank that cup. We read of that in Matthew chapter 26, verses 38 to 45. When the Lord Jesus Christ prayed to his father in the garden and he asked the, his father in his prayer in verse number 39 of Matthew 26, oh my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. And then again in verse 42, he went away again the second time and prayed saying, oh my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. Here he is, the son of God, the sinless, perfect son of God. And he is, he is being required to drink a cup. It is the cup of our sin. It is the cup of our iniquity. And so he prays the third time in a similar fashion and asked the father if it's possible, but it was not possible. And so the Lord Jesus obeyed the command of his father. He fulfilled God's eternal plan that he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He is the only one that could satisfy the righteous demands of a holy God. He is the only one who could make the payment for our sin. And because of that, there is a separation that took place. He was abandoned by God. Notice in verse three, but thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest 
the praises of Israel. A holy God cannot look upon a sinful creature. And the only way that sin could be removed is when Jesus Christ, the sinless one, died on the cross and became sin for us. And so we cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The reproach of the shepherd, he's abandoned by God. Then we notice secondly in verse number six, he is abused by men. Abused by men, those he came to die for, those he loved and set his affection upon. They rejected him and abused him. The Bible says in the gospel according to John that he came unto his own and his own received him not. The Bible says in verse number six here of Psalm 22, but I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. Jesus said, I am hated. I am despised by those I created. Isaiah 53 verse number three said, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. What characterized his reception among men? Not that he was well loved, not that he was widely accepted, but that he was despised. Now notice the language he uses here in verse six, but I am a worm. That speaks of his low estate. He who humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He took upon himself, not the form of a king, but the form of a servant. He said, I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. Notice again in verse seven, all they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him seeing he delighted in him. Here we have in vivid detail, uh, David writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and revealing to us the mind of God, the thoughts that he thought as the son of God hanging upon the cross. What he saw as he looked out upon the crowd and what he heard, he heard them laughing. He saw them shooting out the lip, shaking the head and mocking him, saying he trusted in the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. Now, if we were to look this evening in Matthew chapter 27 and verses 38 to 44, we would find that very prophecy fulfilled by those who stood around the cross. The Bible says in Matthew 27 and verse number 39, and they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, thou that destroyed the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. We get the picture, don't we? He is hated, he is despised and rejected of men. And he goes on in verse number nine, but thou art he that took me out of the womb. This is the cry of the Lord from the cross. Thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there's none to help. He's abandoned by God. He's abused by men. Notice in verse 12, many bulls have compassed me, 
Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. Here again, he describes for us the crowd that's, that was around him at the cross. Uh, this, this reference of the bulls of Bashan, Bashan was an agricultural area, and it's a place where livestock grazed, and the cattle and the bulls of Bashan, uh, whenever there was an animal that was unknown to them or perhaps a threat to them, the bulls would circle that animal, and they would begin to charge at him. They would try to remove the threat. And here we find the Pharisees and the Sadducees as the bulls of Bashan, the political leaders as the bulls of Bashan who wanted to destroy the precious lamb of God. In verse 13, he says, they gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. When the Lord Jesus Christ was hung upon the cross when they nailed him to it. And then they lifted that cross up in the air and set it down in the hole where it would, where it would remain, where he would be lifted up. It jolted his body and his joints, his bones rather, were pulled out of joint. He said, my heart is like wax. It melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Remember that he cried from the cross, I thirst. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death, for dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. Those bones, the word tell there means I, I can count them, I can see them, and I can count them. As he endured the cruel scourging before he went to the cross, as the cat of nine tails was uh, used against him, and his flesh was broken, and the muscle and the sinew and the tissue was torn away. His bones were clearly seen. He said, I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. And as we read the account of the crucifixion, uh, we find these very happenings taking place. You see the reproach of the shepherd abandoned by God, abused by men, and then attacked by Satan. Notice, if you would please, in verse number 19, But be not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength. Haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. Here he is facing Satan and all of his demonic hosts as they scowl at him, as they howl at him, as they rejoice in what they perceive to be their victory. The Lord Jesus Christ experiences this attack of the roaring lion who walks about seeking whom he may devour. And so we have in verses 1 through 19 a description of his suffering we see the reproach of the shepherd. But the psalm makes a dramatic change in verse number 22. It's as if there is a pause after verse number 21. And then a new direction we find in verse number 2. And that leads us to the second part of this psalm. And that is the resurrection of the shepherd. We find here in verse number 22... The suffering shepherd is no longer the suffering shepherd. 
He is the risen shepherd. Tragedy has turned to triumph. Notice in verse 22, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All ye the seed of Israel, for he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. Here is uh, the picture, the portrait of the risen Savior, the triumphant one. As Luke referred to his resurrection in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 3, he described it this way. He said that he showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. Without denial, the indisputable evidence is that Jesus Christ the suffering shepherd who died on the cross rose again on the third day. And that's why we are here, friends. That's why we have hope. That's why we have this promise of eternal life because we have trusted in the risen Savior. The Bible said he was seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Paul wrote of his resurrection and the irrefutable evidence of it in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse number 13, 1 Corinthians 15 and uh, verse number 13, he said, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, uh, then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false prophets of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised not up. If so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. And ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. You see, a Christ that is not a resurrected Christ offers us no hope. He offers us no salvation, but he is the risen Lord. And Paul testified of that very clearly when he said to, to us in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 that the Lord Jesus uh, was buried and rose again the third day, verse number four, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once. See, he was seen of Peter, and then he was seen of the twelve, and then he was seen of above 500 brethren at once. The Lord Jesus Christ, he, he was his resurrection can be attested to and certified because of the eyewitness accounts. He goes on to tell us of whom the greater part remain uh, unto this present. In other words, they're still alive. When, when, when uh, Paul wrote this, those witnesses were still alive. All you had to do was ask them. In fact, he encouraged people to ask them. Then he says, after that, he was seen of James then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that am not me to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. 
and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. Aren't you glad for the resurrection? Up from the grave he arose. The suffering shepherd who bore the reproach on the cross of Calvary rose again the third day. And then we see, last of all, the reign of the shepherd. The reign of the shepherd. Uh, it, what we find in these closing verses of Psalm 22, we find his resurrection. And then uh, we find David writing prophetically of his return and of his reign. And I want to tell you that Jesus is coming again. This same Jesus, the angel said to the disciples as they gazed into the heavens, this same Jesus shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go. Now notice if you would in verse number 25. Here the psalmist is speaking of the rule and the reign of the shepherd. He says in verse 25, my praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. I want to tell you that Jesus Christ is going to return. He is coming again. Now he'll come, the first phase of his coming will be the rapture of his church. The Lord Jesus Christ will sound the trumpet or the angels will sound the trumpet to his command. And we will be caught up together. If we're still alive, we'll be caught up together with those who are dead in Christ and we shall be with the Lord. That is the doctrine of the, the rapture of the church. After the rapture of the church, the seven year tribulation period will begin. The Antichrist will rule upon this earth. A, world, a one world government will be established. He will control all of the political forces of this earth. He will control the commerce of this earth. And for three and a half years, there will be peace and there will be prosperity, but the judgment of God will begin to be poured out. The last three and a half years, there will be after the desecration in the temple, there will be a time of great tribulation like there has never been experienced upon this earth and like there never will be experienced upon this earth. And the judgment of God will be poured out upon this world. At the end of that seven year tribulation period, the Lord Jesus will come with his saints. That's with us. And he will destroy the armies that have united to fight with the Antichrist against Israel and against God. They'll be destroyed. And a, and a new kingdom will be ushered in. That's the millennial kingdom. And let me tell you who will reign on that throne. That's King Jesus. He will be the governor of the earth. Uh, the meek shall eat and be satisfied. The ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. And all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. That is speaking of that time when the Lord Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning upon this earth. Verse 28, for the kingdom is the Lord's and he is the governor among the nations. Verse 29, all they that be fat upon the earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down into the dust shall bow before him and none can keep alive his own soul. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people. 
that shall be born, that he hath done this. You see, when it's all said and done, when the suffering Savior, who is the risen Savior, returns and establishes his rule, then the people of God will gather around and say, he hath done this, and he does all things well. And so we find in Psalm 22 a portrait, a picture, the psalm of the suffering shepherd. I want to ask you a question. Do you know this evening that Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross for you? He knew no sin. That means he never sinned. But God the Father made him to be sin for us. When he obeyed the command of his Father and drank that cup of our iniquity, he became sin for us. When he hung upon the cross, he hung there as a substitutionary sacrifice, dying in our place. But God, the Bible says in Romans 5, 8, commendeth his love toward us, or he demonstrate, proved his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I want you to know, he died on the cross for you. He died in your place. He took the suffering of your sin and the shame of your sin and the reproach of your sin and the judgment of a holy, righteous God. He took all of that for you, on the cross. He died for you. He was buried. And on the third day, up from the grave, he arose, triumphant over death and hell. And as uh, the resurrected Savior, he offers everlasting life to all who will believe upon him. He said to Martha and to Mary, he, says, he said to them, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. There is life after death. And that life is only found in one place, in Jesus Christ. I hope that you have called upon the risen Savior. And if you have, I want to encourage you. Draw upon his life each day. And, and, and may the Lord help us to walk in victory. And then we look forward to the rain. I want to tell you, Jesus is coming again. He's coming. And people are looking around with all of the events of our world and, and the virus and uh, all of the threat of uh, the economic troubles uh, that may follow. And they're beginning to wonder, is this a sign of the times? Could this be the beginning of the end? I, I don't know if this is the beginning of the end. I do believe the next event on God's time calendar is the rapture of his church. And that could happen at any moment. And I want you to know that what will happen after that, the judgment of God poured out upon this earth, is so severe and so serious, we cannot compare what we're dealing with now to what will happen then. And so, friend, I want to encourage you Understand that our time is short. In fact, the time of our life could end at any moment. Let's put our faith and trust in Jesus. Let's rejoice and not let our hearts be troubled because we know the King and we rest that he is bringing all things to pass. And so we just gather around him 
and we say, he hath done this. It is finished. He does all things well. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used his word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.